he would have maxed out his American Express card on that one day in, in London. I love that David Thorson tells the story. It's something that you would never hear on a regular house tour. And it helps to create a picture of Jefferson that is uh, so much more nuanced and interesting, I think, than you get from the history books. It's great to think about Jefferson as a regular guy, because so often we think about him as a man on a pedestal Absolutely. that we can't access. And this story that David Thorson is going to tell us will get to Jefferson's quirkiness a little bit. I'm Tom Vandervoort. And I'm Jacqueline Langholt. And you're listening to a podcast that we... What are we calling it? What do we decide to call it? Well, we've gone through so many options. There are so many good ideas. We have inalienable. We've thought about self-evident. And then ultimately, we realize a lot of these stories are about people and the, the interesting daily lives that they lead. So actually where we landed was in the course of human events. So welcome to In the Course of Human Events and we'll let David get started on the story about one day out in London that Thomas Jefferson had and of course David's attempt to figure out well, what was really going on here. This is uh, the story of Jefferson's travels in London, and I'm going to tell you the story of one particular day. Jefferson himself said, travel is good for your health and necessary for your amusement. And March 21st, 1786, is truly a day of amusement. Jefferson is minister to France, ambassador to France. John Adams is minister to Britain. Adams has an idea that Jefferson can come over to Britain and they'll be able to negotiate a set of treaties because the young United States is trying to establish its credibility as a new nation. Jefferson said, I rise with the sun. And in the course of this single day, he's literally, even today you can walk around the city of London, you can see thousands of things in half a day. And imagine Jefferson strolling the streets of London. First he visits Piccadilly, and he goes to the shop of Jesse Ramsden, who was a very well-known maker of scientific instruments. And there he buys a thermometer, a protractor, and a globe. Jefferson must have been so excited about those objects, thermometer, protractor, and globe. Well, tell me why you are thinking that he would have been really excited about those in particular. Oh, well, Jefferson is a man who does math for fun to the sixth decimal point. He is all about exactitudes and uh, details. You know, he takes the weather recordings twice a day, every day for over 40 years. And to have scientific instruments that would allow him to record details about the natural environment around him. I mean, I think he just would have been really geeked out to go home and use them. Geeked out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> he wanders over to Haymarket to visit Dolland and Sons. Dolland is a, is a maker of optical instruments. He buys a telescope that is still part of our collections at Monticello and a microscope that is in his office today. Then he takes a break, he goes to Charing Cross Road where he sees the learned pig. That's not a restaurant? No, it is not. This is a trained pig that had become a celebrity in London. And the pig would go fetch cards from the audience and would tell their age, would spell words in Latin and Greek. 
And it's all a trick. The man has just trained the pig. He's to simply trained to the pig to, at a command, to go fetch cards from the audience. So Jefferson sees this phenomenon. Then he crosses over to Cornhill and he visits Dealtree and Company. And Jefferson buys two pair of small pocket pistols. So wait, those pistols, mm -hmm. those are still at Monticello. That's right. They're in the bedchamber, and you can see them in the alcove bed. They are at the foot of his bed. And do we know that he, was he into shooting or hunting? Or I've never heard any stories about Jefferson right. into firearms Right, kind of exactly. Uh, you know, where this question usually comes up is in the entrance hall when people see all of those animal horns and the moose antlers and, and skins on the wall. But he really is not much of a hunter. Uh, so in the entrance hall, that's about learning about the world around you and seeing examples of animals that aren't in Virginia. And for the pistols in the bedchamber, I don't know. I think that's just probably good style. Does he like like mechanical things? Is it like sure. a mechanical aspect to how yes. these things work? Absolutely. Taking things apart, putting them back together. Um, you know, Jefferson even does this with his eyeglasses, uh, where he's writing back and forth with the man who uh, makes his eyeglasses, taking it apart, putting it back together. Same with the polygraph machine. I'm sure he would have been interested in the mechanics of the gun, possibly even more so than in firing it, sure. John Adams and Abigail Adams are there at Grosvenor Square. And Jefferson essentially had an open invitation for dinner at the Adams house during his stay in London. Dinner in London at that time would be, well, let's say around three, between three and five. Between doing all this shopping, Jefferson encounters Judge Richard Peters. Wait, what is Richard Peters in? England to do. He's in England to negotiate the separation of the Anglican Church and what becomes the Episcopal Church of the United States. He was part of what today would be the Department of Defense in the Continental Army. And that was his mission, was to try to, to negotiate hopefully an amicable separation of the churches. And he actually does succeed in that effort. Wow. I'm sure, wow. I bet Jefferson would have been really interested in talking with him about that. Well, what occurred to me when uh, David brought this up was I never thought about why these two churches are separate. Are separate. Yes. But then, of course, if you merely think about the name Anglican, mm -hmm. that is the Church of England, mm -hmm. of which the king or queen is of England head. is the head. Right. Now, when the United States separates from England, they can't very well keep the king right. of England is yeah. the head of their church, right? So they need a new church. And I'm like, there's all this going on that also intersects this one day in London. But you're saying Jefferson is really interested in religion itself. Sure. I mean, Jefferson's always interested in talking about religion. You see religious art all over the house. Uh, and he is always interested in this separation, this wall uh, between church and state. Um, but very interested in, I think, how how religion affects society and, and cultures and identity. Uh, really cool. I would love to hear more about what Richard Peters and Jefferson talked about. Imagine being a fly on the wall for that one. Richard Peters was known above all for his remarkable and very quick wit. So he and Jefferson are gonna hit it off. They're also joined by William Stephen Smith. He's actually uh, a veteran of the American Revolution and he was the secretary to John Adams. So you can imagine these three 
expected for dinner at the Adams house. Somewhere along the line, they stop off at one of the most famous restaurants in all the city of London. It's called Dolly's Chop House. Very swanky, very nice. I have no idea if their idea was simply to get together, you know, have a, have a beverage before heading off to the Adamses. Well, at some point in time they realize they're not going to make dinner. And what are we going to do? How do we, how do we make our amends? And between the three of them, Richard Peters, William Stephen Smith, and Jefferson concoct a <laughs> poem of apology. This is the very day as well that Abigail Adams is at her desk writing a letter to her sister, Mary Cranch, and she actually breaks off the letter and says, oh my God, I'm late, I have to dress for dinner. By the way, I totally identify with Abigail in this story, even though we don't hear from her perspective, but I am very much the Abigail Adams who would be like, where are they? Why are they late? Poor Abigail. Poor Abigail. Now the title of the poem is An Interlude at Dolly's Chop House, and the time says, one half past two dollies. And so the three of them concoct this poem together, and William Stephen Smith is dutifully recording. One among our many follies was calling in for stakes at dollies, whereby we've lost and feel like sinners that we have missed much better dinners nor do we think that us tis hard on, most humbly thus to beg your pardon, and promise that another time we'll give our reason, not our rhyme. So we've agreed without objection. The vote is that we thus jointly give you notice, for as our rule is to be clever, we hold it better late than never. And all three men sign it. If you're familiar with Jefferson's signature, this is not the typical signature of Thomas Jefferson. No. It's become very much a scrawl. Makes you wonder what they were consuming at Dolly's. It, it does indeed. I really love the detail that they say, uh, that David Thorson says that Thomas Jefferson's signature even looks bizarre. Cause right. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's interesting, too, because what do you know about his drinking habits? Oh, in moderation. Except maybe this one time. Except maybe this one time. Cuts loose a little bit. I mean, Jefferson drinks uh, with dinner. We know that he likes Madeira wine. Of course, he keeps a wine in a beer cellar at Monticello. But this was the first story I've heard of Jefferson like going possibly yeah. because look you could be a drinker in moderation but are you telling me that your entire life you'd never had a little too much to drink i think that there has to be at least one there has time. to be a time right and this could be at least that one time like, not that there aren't others i like picturing him uh, maybe a, a little bit excessively happy uh, a little stumbly perhaps uh, writing his signature a little bit too big and squirrely, perhaps. I mean, because he's someone who's so often so straight-laced in his, in his letters and his writings. And so being in control... He drops his guard a little. Right. Yeah. So in this instance, he drops his guard a little. Yeah. Throughout the entire visit, he's going everywhere he possibly can. He's seeing everything he possibly can see. As, I mean, people today, 
sometimes you try to jam as much as you can into that short period of time. As guys at Monticello, oftentimes we find ourselves imagining, and certainly many of the visitors imagine, Jefferson is this very serious, he's always thinking big thoughts, and this day presents Jefferson as just a human being out enjoying himself on vacation in London. At some point you start to get a picture of Jefferson as like, uh, this guy's kind of wacky, right? He's kind of a wacky guy. Okay, yes, but what makes you say that? Well, it's just the idea that I'm buying this thing over here mm-hmm. and then I go to the learned pig and, and I, I start thinking about all these stories about him like humming and right, coming yeah, out in his yeah. slippers. And it's kind of nice. It is kind of nice. You think um, he's got some more dynamism to him. Right. And he's got some human qualities that are just like the kind of quirky things that everybody has. The very idea that that he's going to take the time to go see the learned pig, you know, hey, let's go check this out. He's probably trying to figure out the trick. The epilogue to the story is, the purpose of Jefferson's visit to negotiate these treaties is a complete failure. None of the treaties that he and Adams had worked so hard on during their time in London ever come to fruition. So as a diplomatic mission, It's a complete failure. But as a personal mission, I would say it's a rousing success. So what do you think about that, Jacqueline? Did I get the story out of him there? I think you got the story out of him in the course of human events. That was a fun one. That was a pretty good day. Pretty good day in London. And thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the first, the very first episode of In the Course of Human Events. Again, I'm Tom Vanderfort. And I'm Jacqueline Langholt. And thanks for listening. All right. We'll see you next time.